shortest prayer ever said in the Senate in America is this. Look forward, not back. Look up, not down. Look out, not in. And lend a hand. Look forward, not back. Look up, not down. Look out, not in. And lend a hand. If that was a prayer for your church, pray it. This week I was involved in the Premier Love Britain and Ireland Awards. And uh, the eight best days of my year so far have been in eight different cities. I went to Exeter, I went to Cardiff, I went to Birmingham, I went to Belfast, I went to Glasgow, Croydon and Cambridge. And I met some wonderful people doing some amazing things. In Exeter, I met a lady from Portsmouth who every social service worker in the city has her phone number. When they come across somebody who has literally no food in the larder, she goes and gives them fresh food within an hour. That's her mission. That's what God has told her to do. Went to Cardiff, saw a lady who 20 years ago was going to commit suicide and is now on the streets of Cardiff with her workers every night of the week, 200 workers. They have a food bank, a drop-in center, a night shelter, a return to work uh, provision, and they minister to the homeless in Cardiff every night of the week. In Birmingham, I met a guy who runs a gym, taking kids out of gangs and putting them into boxing clubs. In Glasgow, no, let's do Belfast first. Belfast, I, met a, I called her a girl. She's not a girl, she's 19. She uh, had a vision that she should enable uh, kids who have no school uniforms to have decent school uniforms. And she's just off the Shankill Road. It's one of the poorest areas of Belfast. And last year, she took 2,000 uniforms and provided 200 families with school <coughs> uniforms. Refurbished them, cleaned them, stitched them, the lot. This year, she wants to double it. In Glasgow, I met a guy who uh, had a stroke. And as he was on his bed, he felt God talk to him. He wasn't in church at the time that he had to give his life over. And now he goes and does odd jobs all over the city of Glasgow. In Croydon, I met a lady who started um, a food bank, but a food bank taking the um, extras from Kentucky Fried Chicken. And um, her church does now Kentucky Fried Chicken, it does Pret-a-Manger, and it's the model for those brands to give food out to the poor. And in Cambridge, I met a lady who runs uh, a special needs drama group across the, the uh, villages of Fenland. All of those projects were birthed in prayer. Look out, not in. Look forward, not back. Look up, not down. And lend a hand. Ah. Anybody know who this, one, this man is? He's a guy called Bert Troutman. And um, he was a prisoner of war. He uh, got captured by the British in the last uh, year of the war and got put into a prisoner of war camp in Lancashire. And um, he uh, wasn't a very popular prisoner. Uh, they didn't like him. The, the commandant of the, of the, of the um, camp really didn't like him. And um, he gave him all the worst jobs. He had to clean the toilets every day. And um, every horrible job he got. 
And the story is that um, one day, as he came out from cleaning his uh, last toilet, he saw some German um, prisoners uh, taking penalties against each other for cigarettes. And he went up to the guy organizing it and said, if you put me in goal, I'll win you some cigarettes. And uh, he did. And he saved every kick going and impressed everybody on the camp, not least the man who delivered the vegetables. And the man who delivered the vegetables ran a football group. And he said to the commander, com commander he said, hey, if you let him come and uh, be in goal for my team, I'll give you some extra vegetables. And so that's what happened. And so he uh, went and played for the local football team. The local football team went up the ranks. And at the end of the season, as the war was drawing to a close, he got signed by Man City. And uh, he also fell in love with the, uh, the greengrocer's daughter and they got married. And not only did he play for Man City, but Man City got to the cup final in the 1950s, early 1950s. And the story is that Bert Troutman, in the second half, was playing in goal, went out for a ball, and got kicked in the head, and broke his neck. And in those days, they didn't go on the, with the stretcher and all the clamps and everything. He just got up and started playing again. So he played about 25 minutes with a broken neck and dived around and saved goals and all that kind of stuff. And Man City won. And there he is, getting carried off at the end. He became famous. But the story is that as he's in hospital recuperating from his um, broken neck, they had a child by this time, and he rings his wife to let her know that he's uh, recovering. And while he's on the phone to his wife, the little boy goes into the street with a ball and is knocked down and killed. So here's a man who's on the up and has a setback and now another setback and he gives up football. And he goes to the grave and in the movie about his life, at the grave is the commander of the camp who's lost his wife and two children in a German air raid and that's why he didn't like Germans. And they have a fight in the graveyard. And the commander says to the man, Bert, you've got to go back and play football. You've got to play for your sons You've got to play for my sons, you've got to play for my wife, you've got to play for my country, you've got to play for my town, you've got to play for yourself. And so he goes and he plays football again. And in the end he gets an OBE for German-English relations and he also gets the German Medal of Honor for doing the same. But where was God when he broke his neck? And where was God? when his son dies. Where is God? Where is God when you have a fight? And things don't go too well? Where is God here? Whichever way that goes. When Paul wrote that letter to the Philippians, he was in a prison cell. It's my favorite book of the Bible, book of Philippians. But he's in a prison cell. And he was really trying to get the people who were going to listen to him to think about their life in the round, in the biggest possible expression. Some people think the best days in Britain are about to come. Some people think it's the beginning of the end. What should be our attitude, whatever happens in these next few days? It might shock you. But it's a foolish thing to think your help is going to come from Brussels. 
or Westminster. What does the psalmist say? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, we are pilgrims here. A pilgrim is something different. We're not vagabonds, we're not strangers. We're pilgrims. A vagabond has no home. A stranger is away from his home. A pilgrim is headed home. And you are a pilgrim. And your home is not here. Your home is somewhere else. I was at a, a funeral service of a staff member this week. I had to go back to Concert County Durham. I was in a Catholic church on Wednesday. She's home. She's never been more alive because she's home. She has her pilgrim rest, which isn't rest as we know it. She has never been more alive. Paul writes, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. From a Roman prison, Paul wrote this book. And around him, Rome, with its politics, was ripe with paganism. It was a city of gross immorality. Nero was not the friend of the Christian. Nero was killing every Christian he could get his hand on. There wasn't any delegation that could sit in Parliament to argue the case of the Christian. He was after them, and he was going to kill them. But Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. The politics of two kingdoms... The kingdoms of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And we are part of a heavenly kingdom. The ones that those people that I just celebrated were about. In Cardiff, in Belfast, in Glasgow, in Exeter, in Croydon, in Cambridge. That's the politics of our kingdom. Because we have an unseen spiritual world. And it's ruled by Satan who comes and he causes chaos wherever we let him. Or the Prince of Peace who can pour his balm into our hearts if we let him. To most people of this earthly visible kingdom, the preaching of the cross of Jesus is foolishness. That's why they're not here. That's why they're in bed or across the road. They don't see the point. Why come here on a Sunday morning when you can do so many other things? But our prayer life is the thermostat of our Christian life. And our prayer life affects how we see the world and what we say and what we do, where we go, where we don't go, what our hopes and aspirations are, all affected, all determined by our prayer life. Prayer is the oxygen of our spiritual life. Next year, Premier is 25 years old and we're going to try and raise up 25,000 people to pray every day. Because in my life, I've never seen 25,000 people pray every day. I've seen them pray for a weekend. I've seen them pray in prayer meetings for half an hour. I've seen them go to prayer celebrations where they sing a lot, don't pray very much. I've never seen too many people pray concertedly. I grew up in a house, and I, I've said this a few times. I'll just give it as an idea. My mum and my midwife had a little exercise book, and every Friday they got together to pray. And it was very easy. They got a ruler, and they did four things, four lines. And in one column it was, what was the prayer? Second column, what was the date? 
third column, what was the answer? Fourth column, what was the date? What are you praying for? What's the date? When's it answered? What's the date? They've got hundreds of these books. Going back decades. Because every Friday they prayed. Now, that's not difficult, is it? It's a really easy thing. You get together, you pray, you keep a record of the things you pray for and the date. <laughs> and what I love to do is to encourage people to pray. Because when we pray, things change. We set our minds on heavenly things. You know, there are many people in church who may as well be atheists. Because they're on the roll, but they never show up. They're on the roll, but it doesn't affect their life one bit. Average church attendance in the UK is once every three weeks. That means once every three weeks, people show up. Nine out of ten people, and we've done all the surveys, nine out of ten people who go to church don't have a devotional life outside of the visit. That means that they don't have a prayer, read the Bible, do anything that isn't to do with that visit. And that means that even though they're Christian, they don't really know what it is they believe. And even though they're Christian, because they're not very sure, they don't want to talk about it. And that's why most of our churches are under 50 people strong. And that's why most of the country doesn't go anymore. Because we don't believe in a God who changes things. We say we do, but our actions don't give rise to believe it. Prayer affects our appetites. If we're a praying people, we'll show up. If we're a praying people, we'll do it. If we're a praying people, things will change around us. If we're a praying people, the world will know. Please pray. Because prayer affects our appetites. Prayer also affects our allegiance. Paul writes, for our citizenship is in heaven, for where we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. In Rome, the cry was, Caesar is Lord. Paul said, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. We have a different Lord. He's our Savior. He's our King forever. We didn't vote him out, and we won't vote him in. That's our Lord. Our Lord is here, long after we've been here. Our Lord is Jesus, the everlasting Savior of the world. And our allegiance belongs not to Caesar or Westminster or Brussels, not to the Tories, not to Labour, not to the Lib Dems, not to the Greens, but to Jesus Christ. Prayer affects our appetites. Prayer affects our allegiance. Prayer also affects our aspirations. Paul writes, Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. From a dark prison cell, Paul aspires for heaven, looking for the day when Jesus comes. It lifts his eyes to another level. His mindset was literally out of this world. Now I'm going to challenge you this morning. Is your mindset out of this world? Or is it about stuff? The stuff that so easily entangles you. Look out, not in. Look up, not down. Look forward, not back. Be the people of God. Prayer affected Paul's appetite, his allegiance, his aspiration. And so what should the prayer life of a pilgrim be? Well, prayer helps us to focus on the right mandate and the right message. 
he says to these two ladies, Clement and uh, what's the other name? I asked my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side for the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Our mandate, he says, is to get on with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It's not the Great Recommendation. It's the Great Command to go and make disciples. And our job is in the things that we say and do, be it ever so sensitively, it's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that best when the oxygen of prayer is flowing through our life. Prayer helps us to focus on the right mandate and the right message. It also helps us to focus on the right method. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know a car dealer who has that on his office wall. It's just above the door. And when people come in and make all sorts of arguments about why they can't do stuff, he listens to them and he talks to them, but then they walk out the door and across the, across the top is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And truthfully, it should be on the door of every church as we go out. Because that is our absolute promise. We can do all things. We can be reconciled? Of course we can. We can do the stuff that happens in Glasgow and Belfast? Of course we can. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And Paul writes, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me ask you a question. Can you just think about that? Are you willing to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus Christ? Years and years ago, I used to preach at a church called Stockton Tabernacle. It was a really big church. And there was a guy there, he was one of the elders of the church, and they talked about taking the pews out. And he said, not over my dead body. He, was the only, he stood up in church meeting after church meeting and said, this is our heritage. We're not going to take the pews out. And then God convicted him. He was the first one to take out the pew. Because he took the word of God seriously. He felt the spirit move and he was able to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now whether it's a pew or whether it's a dispute or whether it's a mission uh, endeavor or whatever it is, enable your mind to be taken captive to make it obedient to Christ. And that's the power of prayer. Our ally is the Holy Spirit, our source of supply is the Almighty God, our commander-in-chief is Jesus, our weapon is the Word of God. You know, there are churches on every corner, but so devoid of power. Today, the Lord would say, let me in and let me help you to look up, not down, forward, not back, out, not in. So, we're going to come and uh, just talk about this lady for a second. She's right at the end. I saw her when I was a kid. I was seven years old. Does anybody know who she is? Corrie Ten Boom. Do you know who she was? She was the watchmaker's daughter in Amsterdam. She was on tour. She was on tour with her book, The Hiding Place. And she was an amazing speaker. She put... Uh, she saved loads of uh, Jewish families in Amsterdam.
And uh, an amazing talk. But uh, seven years after she gave that talk, she was uh, smitten by a stroke. And she lost her left side. Ten years later, she lost uh, her speech. And she was in and out of comas for the best part of a decade. But this is what she said. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and you enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. That doesn't mean that things go your way. It doesn't mean that things turn out fantastic. It doesn't mean that trouble doesn't come. But it does mean that we are realizing in our mortality and in our frailty that there is something and someone much bigger than us. And a purpose for our lives much bigger than we could dream of and a reality of existence much deeper and much more alive than we're even tasting now. And prayer gets us there. I've been a Christian 51 years. I preached my first sermon 42 years ago this month. And I know how tough it is to pray. I know how unappealing it can be. And I know what a drag it can be to show up on a Wednesday night or whatever it is you get, that, uh, whatever day you choose. All I would do today is implore you as pilgrims to pray.